0: Are you looking for truth from God's Word that you can understand and apply to your life? You'll find it today on Make It Clear with Dr. Stan Pons. Listen now as Stan makes it clear.
1: Today's message is going to be a two-parter on finishing well. In order for us to finish well, we need to know where are we going, where do we want to end up, and then how to get there. But sometimes in order to do that, we have to know, where are we right now? And so the first thing you want to do as you begin to own this message would be to ask yourself, do I really want to go through life just kind of que sarah? Or do I really want to end life in a way that the Lord would smile on me and say, you have finished well. Well, I'd like to finish well, so what I'd like to say at this stage in my life is, in order for me to finish well, I need to know where I'm going in life, and then how to get there and I know that the best GPS for living my life is going to be found here with the Word of God and the best technology I'm going to have is not technology it's going to be the Holy Spirit Himself inside of me being able to help me so that I can finish well at the other end you know when we uh, travel and I meet with Carol's mom and dad and we spend some time up there her mom absolutely loves to put together puzzles you know those puzzles now I'm good with a 50 piece puzzle her mom likes to put together these thousand-piece puzzles. It's just one bouquet of flowers. You know, it boggles my mind. But I know what she does. She flips open the box so you can see what it looks like. Then she scatters out all the pieces so they're all the printed side up. And she looks for the corners, finds her four corners, then the edges, and then off she goes, always looking at that box. Well, you know, I got thinking if I didn't have the box and I didn't have the guidance, I wouldn't know. I'm just trying to put pieces together. And with my um, uh, dominant personality, after about two minutes and a piece wouldn't fit, I'd make that thing fit, you know. I'll, it, it fits, see Carol, it fits, but it would never end up and I would never finish that puzzle well. So if I'm looking at my life and I want to finish well, then I have to look at who in the world ever finished their life well. Well, you already know the best person that lived their life with, that was so impactive for the world and finished well is none other than the Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, Christ not only finished his life well, and as the best example, no one will ever be able to finish their life as well as Christ finished his. But he still helps us through scripture to know how to do that. And if I want to finish my life well, I want to listen to someone who followed Christ, who lived with Christ, who watched Christ. And there'd be no greater example than the Apostle Peter because he was up close and personal with the Lord. And he himself was one that sometimes got off the path because of his own personality. So let me ask you this question. Do you want to finish your life well? If you do, say, "Uh Uh uh-huh. How many of you wanting to finish your life well can sense occasionally that you do step off the path and you kind of get into some weeds? Would you say, "Uh Uh uh-huh? How many of you want to get on the right path and finish well, say, amen? Well then today, if you'll take what I'm sharing from God's Word, let the Holy Spirit then speak to your life in your world, then I believe with that purposed heart to Him, you can finish as well for the Lord. Now if you look at the life of Christ, you can certainly see what He did, but I like what He said right at the end of His life. The night before He died on the cross and then three days later rose again, He's talking to His Father, and if you look there what I put in Scripture, John 17 verse 4, the verse I've taken out out of the Bible for you, it says... I have glorified you on the earth, and then it says, I have finished the work which you have given me to do. I thought it was quite interesting. As I look through the Bible, I like more of a literal translation. It helps me a little bit because I want to get every nuance I possibly can. You're going to notice he says, I've glorified you, Lord, my Father in heaven, and I finished what you had me to do. He puts it both together. So in a sense, if we are doing and finishing what God wants us to do, then we will be glorifying the Lord. So, you could look at it another way. If I choose to glorify the Lord with all that He wants me to do, and I follow the book, I do it according to His way, in His power, for His glory, then guess what? I will finish my life well. So, let me just caution you for some of you that uh, said as you're finishing well that you want to finish with so much money, or you want to finish living at a certain place, or you want to finish perhaps accomplishing some great goal that you might have. I, I would just caution you with that that what you really want to finish your life well with saying is, Lord, I followed your book. I did what you wanted me to do in faith in love, believing through your power, and I did it to glorify you, and you will then finish your life well. Well, in the passage we're going to look at this week and in a couple of weeks, there's a lot of verses in this passage because we're finishing our exposition of 1 Peter chapter 5 in the book. And so what I'd like to do today, there's going to be four areas we're going to look at, but today we're only going to look at two. You might say just two out of four, that's going to be a, a quick message. <clears throat> you could only hope, All right. <laughs> On the other hand, I would rather have you have two of these truths and then let God take those two truths and bring them through your life so you so much own them that you are already in the right direction to finish well for the Lord. What a blessing that is. You know, he said, Lord, I've glorified you. I finished what you wanted me to do. And then actually when Christ is in that moment of physically dying, he then says, it is finished. And then he gave up his spirit unto the Lord. I have to tell you, I don't know how long your life is. Your life may be very long. My grandfather lived to be 100 years old before he died. Oddly enough, my grandfather smoked camel cigarettes every day of his life, unfiltered. Now some of you are saying, see, it's okay to smoke, that man lived to be 100. I often say this, he probably could have lived 150 if he didn't smoke. But I do want you to say, I want you to understand this, we don't know when we're going to breathe our last, but when God says it is finished for us, I would pray that it would be well done, that we finished well, well done, thou good and faithful servant. And so today, I, I now say all the love that I can for all of us, if I can just wrap my arms around you, I pray that you're willing to make some changes those of you who are much older you might say I'm close to the finish line it probably doesn't make much difference I'm going to tell you it will make every difference in the world if between now and the time you do go to heaven that you've done everything you could even if it's in the last year month week or day of your life you young people that are listening to me right now oh how blessed you are because now you can set that goal to say I want to finish well and therefore Lord I want to do it your way with the right attitude, faithfully. And I'll tell you, you will finish well. I only wish that I could live long enough to watch what God will do with your life. But it doesn't matter whether I see it. What does matter for you, and it's a blessing, is the Lord will see it. Well, let's look at just two of them from our passage today. So the first one we're going to look at, first principle here of the ways to live your life so you can finish well is simply to start serving. Now, obviously, there's going to be many things we can do in Scripture, many places to begin, but in this passage, if we want to stay true to the exposition, it would be start serving. Now, if you will, you could follow along in your Bible, the screen, or maybe the uh, worship program outline in front of you. You're welcome to do that. But let's go through this passage because it's so rich on starting to serve. We've got to start doing something. We just can't sit there. We've got to start moving. All right, look, if you will, at verse 1 and here's what it says it says the elders who are among you I exhort I who am a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ and also a partaker of the glory that will be revealed So let's just pause for a moment When you see in your Bible the word elders there, it's not necessarily speaking to all the older people, those would be men and women. It is actually speaking to a group of people that have been identified because of their walk with God, their calling, their passion, their desire, their qualifications, and their responsibility to take on the role of shepherding a faith family in some location. In this case it would be anywhere where there is a group of people and these people meet that qualification. So the elders who are among you I exhort. I like that because he's saying some very important thoughts there. Twice in this passage, one through five, he uses the word among you. You are going to see in a moment that it is not talking about elders who march over you or elders who are merely doormats to you, but who are among you. So we talk about who is he really speaking to, elders. I will make an application from that in a moment. So let's go a little bit further in the passage because after he talks about who he's speaking to and who he's a part of, he now talks about what they're to do. Now look at it again. It says, shepherd the flock of God which is among you, and then stop for a moment there. He's talking about a concept of shepherding. It's interesting in scripture when it identifies those spiritual leaders of a church, they actually use interchangeable terms in the English, but it's identified more clearly in the original language. You're going to see the word elder, which does refer to someone who is usually older because what is spiritual maturity? Spiritual maturity is walking a long time by means of the spirit. And so when you do that, you generally become older. Contextually and also historically, it's taken off from a Jewish background. So usually the leaders of the church were the elders. So there was a little bit of age in there. So physically, but mostly spiritually. The word shepherd there is more what you do. Shepherds were the ones that would protect the flock against any enemies. Shepherds were those to make sure that the flock was being fed. It doesn't mean that the shepherd was to take each blade of grass and hold it up to the sheep and make sure they eat it, but was important to make sure that the food was good, that the Sheep were eating, and if there was any obstruction, that that sheep would be well fed. And those who couldn't feed themselves, the shepherd would be there to help them. So to protect them. But also to lead them so that they would be going to places that would be safe and even better food from time to time. So the shepherd's role was to do that for the flock. And again it says, who is among you? Say with me in the same passage, because now it's going to talk about some other ways. How do you do this? It says serving as overseers. Now what you want to mark is the word serving because that's our first point. We need to start serving. So those who are elders, they might have the responsibility to voice influence, but at the same time they must be seen as modeling serving. So they are to serve as overseers. Now that's the third identification of those that are in spiritual maturity, spiritual eldership. You have the elder who's a little bit older, you have the job of shepherding, that would be the word pastor, that's why you might see our guys are called pastors, but you could call them an elder, but they also function as an overseer. So in a sense if the buck is going to, stop, to stop somewhere, in a church it needs to stop with the shepherds, the pastors, the overseers. So what are they supposed to do? So they're to oversee. But now there's a qualification because sometimes when you hear the word overseer it's like me lead you follow me say you do i tell you obey a lot of people have that idea of an overseer and that's really not what it is stay in the context it says among you not so much over you like you're the big boss serving so there's an idea of sweat equity going on and then over number 3 is the overseeing but now we're going to see how they're supposed to do this we saw what they're to do is to shepherd now how are they to oversee the people now I'm gonna read it to you quickly and then we're gonna open that up with our points so you have something to take home it says here not by compulsion but willingly not for dishonest gain but eagerly not as being lords over those entrusted to you but being examples to the flock and then I like this last part Because it tells who's supposed to do this, what are they supposed to do, how are they supposed to do it. Now it's going to answer the question why they're supposed to do it. It says when the chief shepherd appears, you who are the elders doing these things correctly will receive the crown of glory that does not fade away. So it tells you why you're doing this. So you could receive a special crown for those of you that are those called shepherds. And last little note. It also tells you when you're going to get it. You may not get it in your church. Those of you that will eventually be pastors and shepherds and overseers with some uh, sign on a special parking place or on your desk. But you will get your reward eventually when you get to heaven and when the Lord comes back for you. So there is a time that it's going to happen to you. Now, that being the case, let's go back to the whole concept of being a servant. Being the person who is to serve I look at Peter, and he's the one who's speaking to all of this. At the same time, where did he get this? He got this from the Holy Spirit that is now telling him how to do that. We see Christ in here who himself was a shepherd. We also see him as the one who rewards shepherds, so he has a real heart for shepherds because he can identify with them. But that same shepherd of shepherds, Christ, watch this, known as the great shepherd, the chief shepherd, I love that, the good shepherd, he's all of that. That same great, good, chief shepherd said to his disciples, Peter being in the midst when they were arguing over who's gonna be the big cheese later on the Lord simply says this whoever is great among you let him be your servant so again to the shepherds who have the oversee responsibility of influence and where the buck stops he still says if you really want to be great you need to be a servant of all. Now let me just take a moment and step a little bit away from this Now, that's the context of Scripture for those that are in more of a formal position in the church. But on the other hand, there is those informal shepherds that are in our midst here today. For example, if you are an employer or you're a manager and you have people that report to you because they've been given to you by the corporate structure, then those people that are reporting to you in some measure you have that wonderful privilege and perhaps responsibility to provide some shepherding for them. Instead of just thinking, these are my slaves to help me reach my goal, these are people that God has put in your midst so that you can have some influence in their life yes maybe in the secular world you're gonna be limited of how much spiritual involvement that you can have but I'll tell you this one of the greatest things you can model in front of those people is honesty decency integrity compassion love sensitivity and of course in the context one who will serve them the best bosses make the best servant bosses and then for those of you that have families whether you're the head of household as the husband or the head of household as the mom or whether you have an extended Ohana larger Ohana You can shepherd them. So you begin to ask, are they feeding on good, solid truths, spiritually and skill sets truths? Are they really being protected from the things that will mar their mind or them emotionally or socially or even physically? And what you can do to shepherd them. Oh, how precious that could be. And of course, this illustration can go as far as coaches and team captains and wherever it might take you. But you ask yourself, am I that kind of a shepherd that will do that? Well, I hope so. So you want to finish well your calling in life as a shepherd of other people. What should you do? You should start serving. Well, the context gives us three areas that we could focus on if we want to own the aspect of serving well the people that I'm called a shepherd. Whether those of us that are on staff as shepherds, or whether you shepherd one person or a group of people in your life. So let's look at number one. How do we do it? Choose desire over duty. Choose desire over duty. Look at the verse, a little portion of it. It says this. As he wrote to the leaders, he says, serve not by compulsion, but doing it willingly. I like that phrase. You do it not because you have to, you do it because you want to. Now, for those of you that like to take notes, I'm going to give you three phrases that have four words in it, and then out of those, let's select the right phrase that we should have if we have desire over duty. Here's the first phrase, I don't want to. Can you go back down memory lane, when was the last time you as a shepherd influencer of others you gave a directive or request to someone maybe in your family and in some measure they looked at you and they said either verbally or non-verbally I don't want to. Has that ever happened in your life? Would you raise your hand? Okay. I did that once to my dad. The operative word is once. (laughs) I did it once, I don't want to. and It wasn't long before I was in that business with God through my dad, wanted me to do. But you're going to find this, and I think you'll agree, most of the people who say, I don't want to, are usually very young, they're really immature, or they're extremely rebellious, because I don't want to. In other words, I want to be the boss of my own life. Here's phrase number two. If I have to. Have you done that with a family member, and you've given them instruction, and okay, I'll do it, but if I have to do that. Usually by then they've learned that the response I don't want to is not the right response. So now they still try to get out of it so they Do I have to? Do I have to? Do I really have to? How many of you experienced that recently with a fail? Look at those hands go up They they're just right out of the socket. Okay, that has happened as well. Generally they tend to be a little bit more response, uh, more mature than the other one but they still have a way to go. Here's the third four-word phrase and that is I really want to. I really want to. Now, I'm not talking about asking someone to do something that is unsafe or unbiblical, that kind of stuff. I'm just talking about the things of life. Let me give you maybe another illustration of that. Can you imagine Columbus, if the Queen of Spain said, I want you to go do da-da-da, and he says, I don't want to. Where would we be today? Or if he said, no, I really have to. Can you imagine Neil Armstrong getting ready, and they're saying, okay, Neil, you're the first out the door. Here's your job on the moon. And he said, do I really have to? We probably hardly remember the name Neil Armstrong today. If I really do I really how would you like that? How would you like David? David is out there and all this is going on and hey, why don't you fight Goliath? I don't want you. We would not be following David and all the great truths if he said If I am doing it, let him do it, you know? And he said what? He said, I really want to. I don't even need your armor, Saul. I'm ready to go. And if you read the context of Scripture, he really wanted to fight Goliath in the name of the Lord so much that what did it say he did when he faced Goliath besides the stones and the sling, what did he do? He ran to that guy. That's really saying, I got the want to up here and I have the want to here in my body and I'm ready to go. Now that's the kind of influencer, if we want to end our life, we want to start serving, not because we have to, but because we really really want to do it. Maybe this might help you. I find that when I know I should do something and I don't want to do it and I have this mental wrestling match that it's something the Spirit is either prompting me to do or it's something a clear-cut passage of Scripture and I'm having one of those bad weird days and I don't want to do this I am flooded with enough guilt that really it begins to paralyze me. I feel sour emotionally. I'm sour mentally. And believe me, when you're sour mentally, emotionally, and spiritually, you are sour around the other people because you know you should be doing that, but you don't want to do that. It really kind of messes up you. And then the second part is when you say, do I really have to do that? Do I really have to do that? You know what happens at that time? You're not dealing so much with the guilt. You're dealing now with the real wrestling match. and I do it? I don't want to do this. How can I get out of this?" So now you're trying to finagle it, you're trying to posture it. you're trying to spin this thing so you can in some measure, find something that you think that you can use to get out of doing what you want to do or what you should do. And so that ha- slows you down. And frankly, it makes people very tired when they're like that. A lot of people are so exhausted, and they're the ones you're going to hear say something like this. It is just so hard to serve the Lord. And they can't handle that. So you know what they do? They begin to blame everybody else. They point fingers at other people. And they think that makes themselves feel better. And it really doesn't. However, when you finally say, I really want to. I can't. But He can. Therefore, I will. I'm going to tell you there is an emotional freedom that you have. There's a spiritual desire. There's a passion that takes over. And things begin to happen in your life. So again... Start serving. Choose desire over duty. And some of you might be listening today and you're saying, I want that desire, but I don't have it. How do I get that desire? How do I push my want to button? Maybe here's a first place you can begin. You want to write this down? Here it is. Here's what you do. I, 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 I really want to, but I don't, I'm not there yet, but I really want to. How do I get there, pastor? I want you to write this down. Ask God to make you willing. Whoa. Humble yourself and say, Lord, I'm not willing, but you make me willing. And he will lovingly, but he'll help you do it. Here's the second thing you can do when you're going to start serving, and that is choose giving over getting. Notice the last part of verse 2, it says, not for dishonest gain, but eagerly serve in the context. So you don't do it for the dishonest gain, but eagerly do this thing because you really want to serve the Lord. Let me ask you this question. Are you naturally more interested in giving or getting? most people are interested in getting. That's a, that's a normal thing out of our old nature. Sometimes we think that if, um, if I have money, that I can influence people more. If I just, the more money I have, the more influence I can have. When I was a young boy, uh, in our, and kids, this dates me, I know with you, but I lived at a time in South Florida growing up as a young boy in elementary school that none of the radio stations would play rock music on Sunday until noon. And then it was like, you can do anything you want afternoon. I guess it was to protect those that like to have the quiet time in the morning. But I remember the last show, because I'd be listening to the last show on the radio so that it would then flip into my rock music. And the last show was a show about money. And the person on it kept saying this mantra. He said, money isn't important, but people who have it are. And all I could think, that's right. Until I went to Scripture... And I found out the danger. Listen, listen. It is so dangerous to have that attitude that the Bible says it describes it like a knife that goes inside of you and then twists you if you think that merely having money makes you have more influence. Now let's look at a positive verse. Look at Psalm 112, verse 9. Here's what it says. It says, They give generously to those in need. So you could underline the word generously. Their good deeds will never be forgotten. So let me pause. Maybe some of you do not have the the resources to give to those that have need. But I think we all have the resources It says their good deeds will never be forgotten. Deeds can be done that are money driven, money oriented, money needed. But at the same time there are deeds that you can do that do not involve money. And the last part of it I really love. It says they, those who give generously to those in need, those who do good, it says, they will have influence and honor. So it's not how much money you have that gives you that honor and influence. It's what you do with what God has given to you to be able to serve other people with it. So if you want to finish well, what do we do? Well, Scripture says, concentrate on giving over getting. Look, if you will, at 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 9. This is what it says. Is having money the problem? No, not really. But people who long to be rich fall into temptation and are trapped by many foolish and harmful desires that plunge them into ruin and destruction. Having money isn't the problem. It's those who are desiring for more and more money. It says, for the love of money is at the root of all kinds of evil. And some people craving money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows.